Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nita Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. We're here today to talk about monetization. This is an underappreciated revenue driver and roadmap fixer. It can help you nail your positioning and grow profitably. Companies find problems that they want to solve. And as a result, we build lots of features or services. We prioritize the ones that we believe to be the most valuable based on our discovery process or our original motivation for solving the problem. And we tend to default to assuming that more features, services, offerings necessarily means more value. Customers, on the other hand, tend to be overwhelmed by feature factories or a preponderance of capabilities. Even when they see features that they like, they see the value of those features or that capability from the perspective of their own context. They have different takes on what matters most to them than what we do as builders, especially when they reflect on how much they're willing to pay. Customers prioritize a purchase against all the problems in their lives or their business. They think about competitive alternatives. They think about their budgets. They think about other priorities that they have, and then they make choices. At the end of the day, customers define value, not us. So no matter how much we try to sell value, if it doesn't align with buyers, it's pretty tough to get around that challenge. And this might be hard for some firms or some builders to accept. If you take the time to do deep pricing work on an ongoing basis, I think it can transform your business. Monetization is the process of translating value into revenue. Pricing is more than setting price points. It's about value discovery. Instead of just analyzing old contracts or running A-B tests or just trying to match competitors or deploying AI software, you really want to understand which segments get the most value from your work. Once we know that, we can more effectively bundle and price offerings for those customer segments instead of diluting our efforts across an undistinguished pool of buyers. And if you are selling widely, you're probably leaving value on the table. Pricing and packaging has several benefits that I think are worth considering. One is packaging. I think we talk a lot about price points or about raising prices, but I don't think we often give really serious thought to how best to package or bundle our offers. And if we start doing deeper thinking and work, we're able to deliver better offers that really resonate for our top segment. The result of that is the second benefit, which is you get more revenue with minimal investment of time or additional resources, which is magic. Third, you get the benefit of positioning when you do good pricing work. And that's because pricing helps unveil who is your target customer segment. It can help you validate your value propositions and competitive alternatives, all of which you need to build strong, tight positioning. And we'll talk about this more in a separate episode. Fourth, messaging and messaging validation is another big benefit of doing pricing research. And that's because you're going through a value discovery process where you're asking the customer, 
how they consider your offer. And in that process, you're understanding the key messages and reasons to believe or proof points that really matter to those buyers. Fifth, you can build higher return on investment for your product roadmap once you understand pricing. And that's because you understand value. There's the Pareto principle, which says 20% of what we build drives 80% of the value for customers. And when you do pricing research, you can see that insight in the data. Overall, once you know how customers make trade-offs and perceive value, you'll know which segments to target, how to communicate effectively, and what to build to better serve those customers. Here's the crucial insight. Customers define value, not us. Value is distinct from our capabilities or the benefits we might provide. It's not determined by how complex our solution is or how much time it took us to deliver something. Value isn't really even correlated with how many things our product does. In fact, I've found that if you ask customers, many of them will tell you that having a bloated list of features makes your product less valuable to them. That's because they just struggle to distinguish what is actually a value. They often feel like they're overpaying for features they don't need or use. And at the end of the day, those benefits or possibilities are just not the same as perceived value from the customer's perspective. I think the definition of value is actually pretty illuminating. Value is defined as the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. And in my eyes, that's why willingness to pay is such a good proxy for value. Value maps to customer goals, often things like cost reduction or time savings. It might be trust building, credibility with colleagues, or risk management. I found that saving money and saving time are probably the most popular benefits in companies that we work with in terms of what they think matter to customers. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. And these might even be the real benefits that you provide, but it doesn't matter if your customers don't care enough about those benefits to pay you for it. That's why we need a process for validating value. We wanna know how much demand there is for the problem we're trying to solve and what our solutions or approach are worth to customers. And understanding value is the answer to that question. But I found that many companies struggle to be objective about value, and this has happened to me too. Stakeholders often confuse benefits with customer perception of value. And then stakeholders end up being disappointed when they stop growing or when buyers become disinterested in the offer. I found that external validation cuts through the noise and it takes the bias and opinion wars out of the mix. So how do you validate value? I think this is where customer research comes in, and I'm going to walk you through our framework at a high level. First of all, I think the thing you need to do is prioritize what matters to your business. What is your strategy? What are you trying to achieve? Is it about growing margin? Are you focused on net dollar retention? Are you a premium offering? Is it a highly crowded market? What are the conditions in which you exist and what are you really trying to achieve? Second, I think you need to build a hypothesis based on your internal insights. And I would include data from your finance team. I would interview your sales and marketing team. I think it's important to look back at old contracts and in general, get a sense of what you think is happening. 
What I think you need to keep in mind, though, at this stage is this is part of the hypothesis, but it is also limited in terms of its visibility. And that's because as you're trying to go forward, just relying on your contracts or your historical data usually isn't enough to really understand what value is right now to your customers. So the third step in our process is gathering customer insights through qualitative means. This is deep customer interviews. And what we're trying to do in this process is understand how customers actually perceive value. How are they making trade-offs? What do they not value or care about that we might be offering? This is usually really insightful to get a sense of what they are willing to pay for. And again, it can be surprising and if not shocking to companies to see this data. The fourth step is to validate those insights and our hypothesis at scale. I'm a big fan of market research. I know that some are not, but I think quantitative research is just invaluable. And even in B2B markets, I have found that there is enough sample to get you far closer to a profitable solution than if you choose to do no market research. So I highly, highly recommend exploring this option. What you're trying to do in this stage is to validate and quantify the qualitative insights. And you're also trying to see if your hypothesis was right or wrong in terms of what you thought the value was. When I've done this research, our hypotheses tend to be wrong. There's usually something really interesting and insightful that customers tell us. And that's why I think this is an invaluable step. And if we chose to just stop at qualitative insights, we might over-index on answers that confirm our hypotheses or maybe some unspoken bias that we have. And I think that once you get to a statistically significant sample set, you have a more credible view of what your marketing and sales teams and product team are going to face when they try to sell your product to the wider market. So the fifth part of our framework is building a playbook that product, marketing, sales can all use. And this involves launching the new pricing and packaging because you'll be able to make insights about what the bundle should look like through this process. It's also making updates to our contracts to make sure that we're rewarding sales teams for reducing discounting and making sure everyone stays on track with pricing. It's also going deeper too. It's allowing us to use the new positioning that has come out of this research. We'll talk about that more deeply in another episode, but you will get positioning and targeting insights and you should absolutely bring those into your go-to-market strategy. And then the last piece of the playbook is it's going to validate and give you new insights for your product roadmap, which might be surprising to people. But here's the thing. Once you've gone through a value discovery process like this, you're going to have a much clearer sense of whether or not you should be building the features that you were building, or are there new segments, or is there something that your segment cares so much about that was surprising to you? I've seen that happen before, and I think it can be really exciting if you're open to that process and if you look at value discovery as a journey, if you look at pricing as a journey. One other thing I would just keep in mind, too, is that some of what I'm talking about in terms of this framework may be trickier in a really small market or a brand new market. I think that's fine, and I think that research still pays off. I also think it's really important to go beyond traditional user research or product discovery research, which I find to be really focused on 
what we are building or doing or trying to solve. And I find that teams sometimes miss the bigger picture of value discovery and prioritization from the point of view of the customer. So if you go too deep on a single problem, what I think can happen is you might get valuable insights about the problem, but you're missing the larger conversation about trade-offs and you're not getting a sense of, is this like a top three problem for my customer in the span of things that they care about in their life or in their work? Or is this like the 73rd thing? Meaning it's important but it's still pretty far down the line. And there are a lot of other problems they would try to solve if that was up to them. I think it's helpful to get to those insights. The research process is still super useful. I really can't recommend it highly enough. I think you always learn something. If you're just getting into monetization, here's a few things that you should keep in mind. First, it's absolutely better for your business to focus on high ROI customers versus trying to serve everyone. I cannot say this enough, and I think it's really hard for companies, especially when they're small or early stage, to understand this, but you dilute your resources, the effectiveness of your messaging, and the amount of value you can deliver if you try to serve absolutely everyone. So narrowing down to a tight targeting segment as part of your positioning is absolutely critical. And if you do pricing work, you're going to see that in the data. Second, how you charge, which is the value metric, is more important than what you charge. That's the pricing metric. You want to align your value metric with what customers actually care the most about. Slack charges for number of users, not messages sent, because if they charged for the number of messages you sent, that would be counterproductive and they would be undercutting a very successful business model. Instead, Slack is about network effects. So it's to their benefit as well as that of their customers to get more employees in a business using Slack. If customers don't need to use your product a lot to get value from it, don't charge them for utilization. Find a different metric. You want to find a metric that aligns with how customers perceive your value. Third, don't assume that your competitors have done this work. You can actually use pricing to differentiate yourself in a crowded market if you're the one who figures out what your customers value. I promise it'll be a huge unlock. And at a minimum, you want to keep your strategic goals in mind. For example, if you're in a really crowded market and you're fighting for market share, I think matching prices is a miss. And I've seen that happen. I think the opportunity in that example was for the company to focus on a demand maximizing price, but for business reasons, they chose to go with a revenue maximizing price. Again, it's a choice, but depending on what your competitive objectives are, you might want to evaluate what's really going to serve your business strategy. Fourth, build better bundles for your best segment. A lot of bees in that sentence, but... We test long lists of features when we do this research, and it is always eye-opening. Understanding what customers value, and then even more importantly, what they won't pay for and don't value, is the crucial insight. It helps you avoid bloat in your product. I think firms sometimes feel like they need to load up a product, and the more features that they have connotes more value to customers. But the opposite is true. And if you interview your customers or do this market research at scale, you will absolutely see that. The thing is that it's really hard for customers to understand your value when you have a hundred things in the product. 
it's just not possible that they're going to be able to use all of that. Now, there may be different segments of customers using your product, but likely they have different features that correspond to the value that they receive. And again, that's what you're trying to discover. Fifth, some customer segments are worth more than others. That's how you build great packages and bundles. You want to actually treat your segments differently. And it's another reason why you can't accomplish the same goal if you're just working with personas or an ICP or like a wish list. This is something you're going to really see in the data. And again, you want to not only understand what each one of those segments cares about, you want to look at the value differential between the segments because that's going to be helpful. You might find that segment A is more profitable for your business, so you want to package an offer for them. And maybe segment B could use a lighter weight version of your product so you can put together a different package for them. I think people sometimes don't necessarily think about the fact that you could have one segment and you might come up with a tiered offering so that you have different choices for them. And that might make sense if you've got an offering um, and you're using a land and expand strategy. Another approach, though, might be that maybe you have two or three segments that actually like your product. I think LinkedIn is a good example of this. And LinkedIn, I think, does a good job of having one set of offers for salespeople and another for HR and recruiting people and so on. So there are some choices that you can make, but the choice that they're making very successfully at LinkedIn is they are using customer segments to their advantage. They're doing more for their own business, and they're definitely delivering more value to both salespeople and to recruiters than if they just had one package for both. Number six, I'm a big fan of crossing the chasm. And in addition to the segments that you're going to find in market research, I always come back to what I've learned from that resource, which is what stage are you at? And maybe even a bigger meta question, what stage is your market at? So if it's a category creation situation, that's going to be a different pricing strategy from a more mature market in which you're still a newer company. And that's because with whatever you know technology or offering that you have built and are trying to sell, you really want to think about who that customer is from a perspective of what their expectations are. So if they're early stage customers, they probably care a lot more about the tech or the uniqueness. They have different attributes from more mainstream customers. And that mainstream customers tend to want complete solutions. They have an expectation that everything's going to work perfectly out of the box, even though often we work with software companies, so there's not really a box, but you get my drift. I think it's helpful to keep both of these things in mind, and that book is a really great resource if you haven't read it. Seven, you should kick the tires on different business models. Don't just pick usage or a subscription model because it's popular. Now, I realize that a lot of companies choose subscriptions because the valuations are better, and I completely respect that. But I think that you have to remember that subscriptions are about delivering more value over time. It's about lifetime value. If you don't do that, customers will churn and you won't be able to recoup the initial investment in the product. Your company is just not going to be as successful. And I think sometimes companies forget this ongoing value. They think about it as an ongoing revenue stream. I don't think they always are trying to understand and then optimize for increasing amounts of value over time. Second, usage-based is also really popular. But as I mentioned in the prior example, you got to really think about whether or not it's value aligned. 
And I find with tech companies in particular, because we work with a lot of them, that usage-based pricing tends to be a default. And that's because a lot of builders assume that the tech itself is the inherent value. And like I said, once you move into a broader market, an early adopter uh, beyond like the early mainstream and late majority market, that's not really the case. So it's just important to keep in mind and to really validate it with customers. Like for example, if I only need to use your product a couple times a month to be super happy with it, or in the case of let's say tax preparation software, I really only need it once a year or maybe quarterly if I'm a business. So if you charge me for usage-based pricing, I would find that really frustrating. Instead, charging me for the number of filings or some other thing that actually translates and matters to me, it's going to be much more successful and it's going to be lower friction for me as a buyer. Lastly, a lot of companies think about freemium and as a consumer or a customer, I love it. I think it's a great opportunity to get to try products, but there are a couple of things that I don't think people keep in mind. One is if you are setting up a trial or like a reverse freemium experience, you've got to really, again, understand what your segments are so that you've built that trial appropriately. Or if you're going to have a free version forever, you need to really have done the research to make sure that you're giving enough value to keep that customer interested, but not so much value that there's never a reason to upgrade. You also want to keep in mind that not every user of your product is going to pay you for it. I think a lot of companies get hung up on this. And if they did a segmentation, they would realize there are some segments that are just never going to pay you because they're never going to get enough value. And instead of worrying about them, you should focus on delivering more value to the people who really love your product. And if we were looking at this as like a two by two matrix, focus on the top right and maybe the top left. If the bottom right is a market that you can get revenue from without going out of your way, great. But do not spend your time and energy worrying about the bottom left quadrant. It's just going to be a waste of effort and it's going to be really frustrating for you. The eighth thing on my list is you need to tie your pricing objectives and your monetization strategy to your business goals. So if you're focused on preserving or increasing margin, you need to think about that and you need to be really thoughtful if you're going to raise prices. You can raise prices with some customers, but you can't with everyone. And it is really worth your time and effort and very low investment relative to the amount of money you can make if you do this work ahead of time instead of trying to raise prices and being disappointed by how customers react to it. Secondly, net dollar retention is a really popular KPI right now, given that the market has been pretty uneven. And if that is a goal that you are now prioritizing, you got to make sure that the packages that you're designing are oriented around retention and that they're designed to help you either grow the accounts, best case, or at least maintain accounts over time. And that's another thing that I don't think people think far enough ahead in designing packages. And so it's something that I really encourage you to study. So the last thing I just wanted to talk about is a little bit of a timing question, and that is, when should you do pricing work? I think you should start as soon as you can. I've just spent a lot of time kind of talking through all the different benefits you can get, but you can use pricing research as a very high return on investment, both for your revenue today, your future revenue, your positioning, the efficacy of your go-to-market, and building a better product. So if you haven't thought about it, I would really encourage you to do it. I can guarantee that you will find some helpful insights from this process. If you're trying to cross the chasm, 
Just keep in mind that the expectations for those new customers are going to be different from the customers you've had today. And again, having those insights in a really systematic way at scale is very helpful. I think it's also helpful to keep in mind that if you are trying to launch something and you've already built it, this is not ideal. But at the same time, if you've built something, you should try to at least build optimal packages around that offer. And you want to do that as soon as you can. The ideal case would be that you're getting this data, factoring it into the roadmap, and then building products and services from that. But if you've already invested the resources and this wasn't really something you had thought about, I think it's still worth putting resources into packaging because that's going to be so much better for you than just kind of making it up as you go. Another inflection point that comes up pretty often is if you're trying to add a PLG strategy to something you've built, and PLG stands for product-led growth, or if you're adding sales to a product-led growth business model as you try to go up market, these are major inflection points. And I would absolutely do this research at a time when I was thinking about it so that I could figure out what the packages and bundles would look like. And also it would probably illuminate potentially some vulnerabilities or gaps in the roadmap, or it might even help us prioritize things a little differently. So those are some of the insights. Hopefully you can tell that I really love monetization and pricing. I think that while pricing experiments are helpful on an ongoing basis, the deep work that we've just talked through, that's what really gives you the playbook for your product, for your marketing and sales. And I think that once you get to the intersection of where value meets demand, there's just huge rewards and benefits both to your business and to the customers that you serve. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. We're a new podcast, so it really helps listeners find us. If you'd like more information on today's episode, check out the show notes or send us a message. 